Welcome to The Edge, the official podcast of Bass Edge, brought to you by the world's leading underground construction equipment company, Ditch Witch, proud to support the sports you love. I'm Steve Brigman, and I'm joined by the host of Bass Edge Television, my hero, Aaron Martin. How are you this morning, my friend? <laughs> I am doing well, Steve. <laughs> a little easy on that hero stuff, but no, we do have <laughs> we do have a good show today, and I would encourage everybody to get out their pens and pencils, because we are going to dive off into to the topic of ledge fishing as Pete Glusick will be joining us uh, to discuss his approach with a football jig and then a little later Kurt Dove will be along to talk about finesse fishing on top of those ledges so it's uh, full of information. Uh, it's going to be a great show. Let's rock and roll. Get like that one boy. Good job. I don't know of any other sport that offers the challenge with bass fishing. Oh, did you see that? Yes, I saw that. That was awesome. <laughs> Watch for the fish to pace the bait. What do you think of that, huh? Yeah. That's full contact fishing right Man. there. You're listening to The Edge, the official audio program of Bass Edge. We had another good day of fishing this week, didn't we? We even caught a few on top water. We did, and uh, you know, one of the things that I learned, and you know, of course, we were driving down the lake, and you get those feelings where you're like, "Man, I need to go try this spot just because it looks well." And so we pulled into the back of a creek, which had uh, obviously some steeper banks, but it allowed us to really kind of maximize that shade line, Steve. And I think you know, it produced some decent fish, not quite the size that we were looking for, but it was still fun. Right, we were throwing spooks, and uh, I think we could have used a little ripple on the water you know here in the ozarks we've got some pretty good hills around the lake and it was kind of protected and we didn't have a lot of wind so i would like to see a little ripple on the water i think that would have helped those spooks a little bit but it was very very neat because when we catch a fish there'd always be one or two following it and of course the fish we caught we were hooking on the uh, front hook and uh, you know i can remember and then here again we'll talk about making adjustments but uh, i think we talked about it that time and i think it's a good point that perhaps more of the fish had moved on out we'd had an incredibly warm week and our nights had been in the mid-70s which is really high for us here so from there we moved out to the big water well we did and you know i think it was a good lesson learned because that's really those transition highways that we speak of you know kind of putting the pieces of the puzzle together between the staging areas and where they're heading to for the summer and i think obviously we still had uh, some bank runners that were in there but just by looking at our electronics and like you said moving out to more or less now the summer staging areas, obviously there was a stark difference between what we were seeing on our electronics. Yeah, it was pretty stark too. We went from just a few feet out to uh, out to the 25, 30 foot range. You know, started to throw the football jig. You know, it's just such a staple here in our part of the country. Such a good bait in these rocky lakes. Them smallmouths like them, I'll tell you that. And we did catch some really nice smallmouths. Yes, we did. And like we'll hear a little later with Pete, you know, he's going to talk about its application around the country. But the thing about a football jig that I am always fascinated about, you know, we did a lot of experimenting with trailers, Steve. I think uh, you and I at last count, you know, we tried, what was it, six or seven different trailers throughout the course of that day. And there was a, obviously a disparity between what they were preferring, not only in the action and, and kind of the size, but 
Also, the color had a little bit to do with it as well. Well, it did seem to have a lot to do with it, the colors. And I know that, of course, during the day, we started off with kind of a cloudy, still morning. And as the day wore on, the wind picked up. It became very, very sunny, (laughs) very hot. And, of course, all the folks with all their toys were out with everything from uh, parasailers to float planes to jet skis. It was a day of of a lot of sights on the river, on the (laughs) lake, I just say, yeah. Yeah, it sure was. And one of the places that I remember was the island, kind of describing what took place there. Here you had the old river channel that came right up against the island that obviously set way out in the middle of the lake. What was it, uh, say 110 feet that was on one side, but then it came right up into 15 to 18 foot of water. Man, that place was just stacked with fish. Well, that brings a great point. This is a place, this is your home lake, Aaron, and you knew about that spot. But, you know, you don't have to just know about that. I mean, you know, when I got home, I pulled out the map, and I looked at where we'd been. I wanted to, I wanted to remember your spot. But it was very noticeable on the map, you know, It's one of those places like, man, look at this deep channel next to this ledge that comes way up. And, you know, just get your map out and look, find those spots and go pound them. And we fished uh, actually a couple of islands like that. You know, you can use your map and you can find those. You don't have to know the lake to find good fishing spots. Well, that's a great point. And it is not rocket science. We did not go out there with we were going to go to this spot than that spot. It was not a spot technique. It was more about what the type of structure, the depth you know, what was going on on each side of those ledges, you know, where the current came in, all of those different factors. And like you said, by pointing out and going to that map first, then using your electronics, you know, we spent a lot of time, Steve, just kind of behind the console there with the motor idling and uh, staring at the graph quite a bit. Well, we did. And, you know, we did kind of locate some fish. There were some spots where we just didn't see fish. We moved on because, you know, our light goes up and down and there's a lot of such spots. But, you know, one thing I think is worth mentioning about last Saturday was, you know, with the football jigs, we use just a drag technique, a very slow, subtle drag technique where we're just pulling that bait across the bottom to look like a crawfish walking across the bottom of the lake. But one of the great things about that technique, it gives you a really good sense of the bottom. And here in our rocky lakes and what we found, and what you will find most of the time is that there'll be spots that are different. And we were finding and catching our fish when we found more chunky rocks, more resistance versus, say, a lot of the pea gravel that we found on some of the points we were fishing. Yeah, it was all about that transition. And those little sweet spots, if you will, really made a big difference. Now, the thing that also I would want to point out on that is when you find those, because you're out, you know, sitting way away from the shoreline. So, and when you've got the wind and all of the boat traffic, and the recreational vehicles that you speak of out there, you know, it can be hard to hold that, say, 10-foot area and you're making these long casts to. That's really where the marker buoys come into play by just kicking that over and having a point of reference uh, mm-hmm. so that you're not drifting way away from it. Because you know as well as I do, Steve, when we would hook up, if I would get off the trolling motor or you would get off the trolling motor, we'd be, you know, 30, 40 yards away from where we were originally. Man, that's such a good point. I'm a little embarrassed how long it took us to pull those things out. But, you know, you're right. I mean, you're not necessarily using this buoy to throw on top of your fish or on top of the rock pile as much as you are putting a reference point out there and saying, okay, we're about 30 yards this way. or It's just a point of reference. So, uh and then buoys are just a great tool because we were fishing a long way from the shore in a lot of cases out on some very long points and, and out on some humps. But uh, I tell you what, man, I'm, I'm ready to go again. We'll have to uh, work that out here soon. I understand you've been out visiting with some folks. Yes, I have. I was actually had the privilege of heading out to Virginia there 
at uh, Colonial Williamsburg, and that's the first time I'd been in that area, but to be able to go down to the Electric Utility Fleet Managers Conference, where uh, individuals from all over the country and Canada came in, and it was an uh, arrangement that uh, I did the keynote address for that conference as part of our sponsorship with Ditch Witch, and got to meet just a lot of good people that were obviously very passionate about fishing, and, and we had a great time, Steve. Well, I understand you were a big hit, as usual, and your message was a good one, and, and I think in the future, when we got a little more time, I want to pin you down so you can talk about that. In the meantime, uh, looking at the calendar here, uh, are you telling me we're actually going to get to take some time off? <laughs> well, you know, it looks that way. Um, of course, you know me, the slave driver, I, I didn't put in that <laughs> request. I guess uh, you, you probably didn't CC me on the email of you asking for those days off, but no, seriously, uh, <laughs> July 4th weekend, obviously that's a special time and everybody has a lot of things going on, and so we will be off for the week of July 4th, but we'll be back again on July 10th and, you know, maybe get out there and kind of talk about our tradition of us setting off some fireworks at your house and eating some Mexican food there, Steve. Yeah, well, I'm, we're going to have a good time. Kathy and I are gearing up with the guacamole and the salsa, and we're going to have a good celebration. But this 4th of July, I think, to me, is especially poignant. You know, I've been watching YouTube and, and, and seeing the uh, uh, what's going on in Iran. People fighting, risking their lives for just a few of the freedoms that we enjoy. So uh, certainly our thoughts and prayers are with those folks at this time that we celebrate our great democracy. Steve, you know, you are so right. It's um, pretty amazing when we're sitting here talking about fishing and thinking about everything else that is going on all over the world and uh, the sacrifices that are being made on, on really our part. So thanks to everybody. And we hope that you have a safe and happy 4th of July. Well, that's that's true. And uh, be careful on the roads. It's a dangerous time. Well, Aaron, we need to get away, uh, take a little break, pay a few bills, and come back and talk about ledge fishing. We'll be right back here on The Edge. You've got the truck. You've got the toys. Now it's time to get the hitch that gives you more time to play with both. It's the tow and stow receiver hitch by B&W. You want options? Select the ball size, adjust the height to level the trailer, or stow it out of the way in just seconds. It's 10,000 tow and pounds worth of durability, convenience, and the latest technology that has made B&W famous. The tow and stow receiver hitch by B&W. Call 1-866-BEST-HITCH. Welcome back to The Edge. Brought to you in part by Ditch Witches Zon, establishing a new standard in trencher power and versatility. Welcome back to The Edge. On board with us today is an angler that hails from Franklinville, New Jersey, and has spent the last 13 years competing professionally. His ability to read and understand fish movements make him a threat on any lake in which he launches his boat. And that is Mr. Pete Gluzak. Pete, welcome to The Edge. Hey, thanks for having me, Aaron. I'm, uh... I'm just awful glad to be here. I always look forward to talking about fishing. Absolutely. You know, if you can't be on the water, we might as well be talking about it. And, <laughs> you know, Pete, there is no question in your passion for the sport, but has it always been really kind of at the level that it's at now? Well, no. You know, I started, I guess, like everybody does. I went fishing with my father when I was probably four years old. And I guess you get drawn to it right away. And, and I, I really uh, had a passion for it. Just the enjoyment of the outdoors and enjoyment of fishing. And, and uh, when, I was, uh, when I got to be a young man, I, I was introduced to the Federation, you know, which was a, a tournament competition, a club format. And, 
that's when I really fell in love with the with the sport of uh, competitive bass fishing, and there was no turning back. I entered every tournament I could and progressed through all the the channels. And uh, you know, next thing I knew, I found myself qualifying for the Bassmasters Classic. So, you know, it, it was kind of a a long process, but you know, I've always loved the sport. Well, and I think that goes uh, for a lot of us. You know, and matter of fact, I remember the first time that I met you was actually at one of the Bassmaster University seminars back in the mid '90s. We're kind of dating ourselves here, but uh, um, are you still active, kind of in the educational and more or less the ambassador role within the sport? Absolutely. You know, promoting the sport is something that uh, you know I'm very passionate about. I, I love it so much. I love to introduce people to it, and I really enjoyed my time at the Bassmaster University seminars. And what I'm involved with now is uh, we're doing, we're continuing that. We're basically bringing that back. We're calling it the Bass University, and myself and Mike Iaconelli, who I'm sure a lot of you know, are uh, are putting this together. We're going to be doing uh, seminars throughout the country and in Canada in 2009 and some more in 2010. So what I found is that the people that attended the old university seminars, they missed it. You know, they missed the direct interaction with the pros. They missed getting that high-level, advanced education on the spot. And the pros missed it. The pros missed an opportunity to get out there and directly interact with the public and work with their sponsors and talk about what they're doing. So, you know, we're bringing it back, and uh, we're very excited about it. Well, that is exciting because, you know, kind of the way I look at it, and certainly that goes right along with the mission of Bass Edge, you know, you don't even have to be participating in the sport on a formal level. You know, uh, recreational anglers, uh, we kind of all seek out knowledge as well. And, and you know, that's what it's about. I mean, being a competitor, you know, we're forced into the arena to find the most advanced techniques to be successful. You know, we're, we're at the cutting edge of understanding fish movements and patterns. And, and that enables us to be competitive. But just the, the weekend angler can accelerate his learning curve so much because he only has a couple days a year to fish maybe a couple weekends a month and when he's when he's out there with his family or his kids and you know he wants to be able to efficiently get out go about the business of catching fish and uh, so we're able to communicate that with him even though he may never fish a tournament it'll make him a much better fisherman but uh you know we're at the bassuniversity.com and, uh, you know, that's where uh, these folks can come and they can register for, for the university classes throughout the country. And, uh, and I'm looking forward to getting out there and talking to some of these folks. That is exciting. And certainly I recommend everybody take advantage of that because, uh, you know, we might as well use your experience and your time on the water to kind of help ourselves. And, you know, kind of transitioning now into your role in the sport, but also specifically with some of your strengths. I know that crankbaiting is, is really kind of ranks at the top of of your list, but coming off of the heels of Kentucky Lake and really the infamous ledge bite, you know, was that your primary tactic for targeting bass? Well, cranking was a big factor for me out at Kentucky Lake. And, you know, I managed to to slip in for a check there and, uh, you know, I'm in good shape to qualify for the FLW championship, which was great. But the crankbait bite is usually king out on Kentucky Lake. But what I found was uh, a a technique that's also well-known known but so effective is uh, what's called stroking a jig and really i find this technique to be you know most effective when the fish aren't aggressive enough to eat a crankbait you know when they're swiping at it 
they're turning away from it. They're not quite reactive. Honestly, it, it really stroking the jig is probably the uh, the best technique when they're not pulling current on the reservoir. Let's kind of start there because I'm gathering that perhaps maybe you're picking up the crankbait first under these type of conditions uh, when we're referring to this ledge bite, and then you're using that information that you're getting back from the response to the crankbait to maybe make a transition or continue doing what you're doing? Right. You know, the, the crankbait is your search tool. It's going to catch the most aggressive fish most of the time. The key to being a successful fisherman is is being able to catch those fish when they're not so aggressive and that you know that's when I make the adjustment for those of you who may not know uh, what the ledge bite is or haven't had that type of experience before what happens is on the lakes like Kentucky Lake and Lake Eufaula and really anything on the Tennessee River the fish are going to be spawning up on the shallow flats the hydrilla flats grass flats dump flats when they're done spawning what happens is they move immediately out to the river channel the main river channel where the lake bottom breaks from about 5 to 10 feet all the way into the river channel. And what's happening there is there's an abundance of shad that are engaged in feeding and uh, spawning activity, and the bass are just feeding on them like crazy. Just about every fish in the lake, as soon as they get done spawning, they swim a half a mile if that's what it takes to get out to where all those shad are. And that's the ledge bite. So whenever you have that much shad around, the crankbait is usually a primary weapon. Well, Again, people like me who are familiar with natural lakes and tidal rivers, you know, we don't know too much about current generations through the dams. I, I've had to learn it over the years. And what happens is every day, a period of the day, the dam operator is going to open those gates and let a lot of water through. That brings a lot of current through the reservoir, and that activates all those big fish. And when they're active, there is nothing better than a crankbait. But when they're not pulling water, I found that stroking the jig is a great way to trigger the fish. The fish oftentimes suspend off of the break of the river ledge, and they're about two, three, four feet off the bottom. And they're very difficult to catch. Anybody that knows bass fishing, the most difficult fish to catch is a suspended fish. What stroking a jig is, it's a technique that's used where you're basically casting out a, a football head, which is what I use. I use the football mop which isn't even on the market yet. <laughs> but if you go to the Buckeye website, it's going to be posted there pretty soon. But it's a, it's a living rubber skirt mixed with some silicone, and it's just a beautiful, natural action, and it's a, it's a great trigger for these fish. And you're casting now, I was using a three-quarter ounce, which is pretty heavy considering I was only fishing about 10 feet of water. You let that bait hit the bottom, and then you do what's called the sh a stroke move. You rip your rod up from about... Uh, you know, all the way up to about 12 o'clock. So you're picking that bait up very quickly to about three or four feet off the bottom and then letting it fall on a slack line. And what that's doing is that's taking those suspended fish, you're bringing that bait up into their strike zone and catching their attention and then letting it fall very fast on a slack line. That's why we use a three-quarter ounce. And because it falls so fast, it drives those fish nuts in the clear water, and they just go right down and they suck it up. But uh, it was a tremendously effective weapon for me and really helped me make the money I made out of Kentucky Lake. So it's it's essentially you're generating a reaction strike even on a not-so-aggressive bass. Exactly right. It, a bass is, is tricky, you know. When he's suspended, he's inactive. So what you're doing is you, you're picking that bait up very fast fast and putting it in front of his face and then by releasing it on a slack line the bait is running away from him and just that process of the bait escaping him very fast well it just it captures his attention you know it, it puts him into a feeding mode and and you can trigger strikes that you wouldn't normally get well, and the interesting thing about a football jig is its versatility because obviously, you know, the stroking method that you just described is, is very applicable. 
but uh, you know you can also drag it you can uh, fish it fast you can fish it slow and that is I think one of the uh, draws to a football jig is because of the many ways that you can fish it. You bring up a great point. It's a it's a big heavy bait, so you can make a long cast with it. You can cover a lot of water pretty fast. You can drag it. For for those of you listening that may fish up at the Great Lakes and are used to dragging tubes for smallmouth, well, dragging a football head is the same type of of uh, situation. It draws the same type of strike from uh, from the largemouth down in the southern reservoirs as it does from the smallmouth up on the Great Lakes dragging tubes. But it is it's very versatile. What I I really like about this football mop is the skirt is larger than a normal skirt and it uses living rubber which has a lot more action than does a silicone skirt a silicone skirt tends to fold over and it's a very it's more of a subtle presentation but the living rubber when that bait hits the bottom it flares out like a crawfish does when a, when a crawfish hits the bottom and boom he he, he pulls his crawls up his claws up in a defensive mode. That's exactly what this jig looks like. You know, it's big, it's bulky. For the big fish that you have in places like Kentucky Lake and Gunnersville, some of these places where you where you have an opportunity for some of these three to seven pound fish that are so prevalent, that big aggressive jig, that's definitely the way to go. And that football mop is is pretty hot. I use a you know what's called a mop jig a lot when I'm flipping in the grass and, you know, when I'm flipping around wood cover and whatnot. And that's been very effective for me over the years. But using this football mop, which is, you know, really designed for fishing structure, it's been it's been tremendous. Well, and just kind of listening to you, you know, you've described really just a couple geographic locations of which, you know, maybe this applies. And obviously the term ledge is a relative term, but can't anglers effectively apply this technique um, across the nation? Absolutely. You know, anytime you get into a summertime pattern, and that's post-spawn, when the fish, they have the spawning concept out of their mind, the spawning drive, I guess is a better word, out of their mind, and they're they're moving to a feeding zone. You know, what they're going to do, and anywhere I've been throughout the country, they're going to go to the deep edges. Up north, it's going to be a lot of times the milfoil edge or the hydrilla edge. Down south, it's going to be to the edge of the flats, like we were talking about down there at Kentucky Lake. But this is applicable everywhere. Every time you get into a summertime pattern, the fish get to the outside edges of places. And yeah, definitely. The football jig, it can work anywhere in the country. So talk to me about what you're looking for on your electronics when targeting, you know, bass this time of year. We're about to break over into the month of July. And, you know, talking about these ledges, um, how do you define the ledge, you know, of what you're seeing on your graph? That's a uh, such an important part of things, you know. I'm glad you brought it up. The sonar is critical. When you're, when you're dealing with summertime fishing, having good sonar and having confidence in, in what you're seeing on your sonar is so important. Down at, at Kentucky Lake, anything on the Tennessee River, the key down there is mussel beds. There's freshwater shells, freshwater mussels, that live live out there on these uh, on these flats, and when we look into you know what what is a mussel, how does it feed? I know it, it feeds on the plankton and the the small particles that are being brought by the current out on these lakes. And so, if you know that, you know that you're going to be looking for these types of mussels on the upcurrent side of any point, any ledge, any break. That's important to know. So when you're out there investigating with your sonar, you're not going to be looking behind islands or behind 
things up on top, way back on a flat, you're going to be looking where the current actually impacts the structure. That's where the muscles are going to set up, and that's what you're looking for. Now, muscles are very difficult to see on your sonar. There's only a few people I know that, that have the expertise to be able to, you know, isolate a muscle bed, you know, by looking at the different bottom on, on their sonar. Moreover, what I do is I look for the upcurrent side of things, and then I concentrate on the shad. The shad are going to be around the muscle beds. And when you see a uh, brake line that is in the face of the current that has a lot of shad around it, that's a great place to look. That's how I use my sonar. And you want to talk about the versatility of a football jig. There is no better tool to tell you when you're on a muscle bed. You can drag the jig over gravel, over road beds, over mud flats, and you, you feel that, you know, transmitted into your rod. When it goes over a muscle bed, it is so distinctive. There is nothing that feels like that. It's constant vibration. It's constantly intersecting a shell, a live or a dead shell, and there's nothing that feels like that. So between your sonar and the football head, it's a great tool to be able to find this type of cover. Well, and a lot of times what I've found, Pete, is that you can take maybe an original a map, look at that first, kind of get your bearing where you need to start, then use your sonar to really tweak it because sometimes the, the reality of it is that you might be setting out in what looks like the middle of the lake or the river of which you're fishing and way away from anything that resembles the shoreline. You're right. You know, mapping is key. I buy every map that exists on a lake. A lot of people just use the map that their sonar comes with, but I buy all the different maps because they show the, the structure differently. And that's as you're right. I spend hours prior to visiting a lake to try to determine which you know which are the which could potentially be the good ledges and you know maybe not others but one of the keys and a lot of guys don't use their maps you know once they once they investigate an area they look at the map they go to the lake and they investigate an area and they catch a few fish here's a little piece of advice once you catch fish go back to your map and look at it identify where you caught them and look at look on the map and see exactly where that spot is a lot of times it like sends a light you know a light bulb goes off like oh they're in the mouths of creek channels as they intersect the river channel or they're on outside turns or they're on inside turns and a lot of times you won't discover that until after you're done fishing and you go back and look at your maps again well and quickly here in our last closing minute or so how critical are the angles in which you're presenting the bait? Well, you know, obviously, you know what questions to ask because that that's a very high priority, especially when they're not pulling current. When they're pulling current, it seems like anything goes. You could put a treble hook on your shoe and throw it out there and probably <laughs> catch them. <laughs> but uh, when they're not pulling current, everything becomes important. And casting angles, man, that's that's one of the tops. Bringing your football head up the ledge versus bringing it down the ledge bringing it downstream versus bringing it upstream. And to be honest, when I'm in a, when I have a great shell bed on the edge of a ledge, I have not fished it properly. I'm not done until I fished all four ways, upstream, downstream, down the ledge and up the ledge. Well, that's great advice, Pete, but unfortunately we have ran out of time. Any closing thoughts uh, before we get out of here? Well, you know, um, if anybody listening has any questions, just visit the Ask the Pros uh, section on the Bass Edge website. I'd be happy to, uh, to answer any questions that you do have. You know, fishing is a passion for me. I know it's a passion for, for everybody else out there, and 
I hope to get to see some of you at the Bash University seminars that we're having throughout the country. And, uh, you know, by all means, go on the website, ask me a question. I'll get back to you as soon as I can. Well, great stuff, Pete. Best of luck in your upcoming tournaments, and thank you so much for being part of The Edge. Thanks for having me, Aaron. Thank you. Power. Productivity. Speed. It's the best trencher ever made. Not to mention the best plow. Dumper. Tiller. Backhoe. Stump grinder. And tool carrier ever made. The Zahn. The revolution is here. Now you can harness the full power of your boat electronics and catch more fish. Introducing Electronics 101. Whether a beginner or more advanced, leading electronics instructor Mike Webb shows you how to get the most out of any sonar unit. Common problems and frequently asked questions are covered in detail. Electronics 101 also includes bonus deep fishing tips from industry pros. Master any brand graph. Order your DVD by calling 888-390-8780 or online at BassEdge.com. Hi, this is Jim Tut, and you're listening to The Edge. Well, Aaron, I guess this is the week of the jig. You'd have thought we planned this with Pete. Uh, his insights on ledges was a nice compliment to our discussion of points and humps and rock piles. It certainly hits home, and I really enjoyed the entire episode here because it's something that, A, I love to do, but also it is a tremendous technique that can be used across the country. It sure is, and of course, one of the comments he made that I could really relate to because it's something that we paid a lot of attention to this week, or frankly, you insisted that we pay a lot of attention to, was direction. We tried some spots, fished it from one direction, but lo and behold, it just seemed like the fish liked it coming from a different angle. Yes, angles, you know, I can't stress that enough. And there's a couple things to break down there. One is because of, obviously, when we're talking about ledges, those are normally close and adjacent to the river channel and deeper water. So, you know, current generation, like Pete brought out, all of those types of things play into that of how that the fish will set up on the particular point or the ledge that we're talking about here and the way that that bait will come across naturally and obviously that's what we want is a natural appearance and ultimately entice the fish into biting but the other thing is too steep let's say in our instance you know it seemed that kind of that critical depth range that we were targeting was that 24 to 26 foot range and a lot of these ledges they drop off really quick but they're uh, more or less kind of along a point or a shelf so (laughs) make a parallel cast with the ledge or with the hump that you're actually on and if that's what you've witnessed on your electronics and see that that's where the fish and the cover and the bait fish are holding That'll allow you to keep your bait in the strike zone a lot longer versus, say, bringing it over the saddle of the ledge or the hump. It's just a lot more effective. Well, that's so true. And especially, you know, I know that that first ledge at First Island we fished last weekend was, it was like 140 feet and it came up to like 30. And the fish were right on the edge of that 30. And so getting that parallel cast that keeps your jig or your bait in the strike zone for the longest time. And I mean, that's where the fish are. So uh, angles is everything. Pay attention to it. Uh, but then experiment with it too. Well it is and you know one of the things that you learned very quickly is that if we make a cast because you had several bites and I think uh, correct me if I'm wrong on this but if I remember right they were hitting you on the fall so you know if you're off one or two feet to the left or to the right, your bait may be falling into 100 feet of water versus hitting that 30 range. And that's what you 
really have to be paying attention to. Well, you're exactly right. In fact, it's that very spot I'm talking about where I got two bites on the fall. So uh, pay attention. And, uh, you know, I blew one of those pretty bad. I just tightened that line and you're just feeling let go. So, uh, you know, you got to be prepared for that fall because if you're throwing right on the fish, uh, they're likely to hit it on that first time. Well, Aaron, we have a question this week, a good question, a question we get a lot, and it's for you. Questions from Bob. Aaron, you frequently refer to the diary you keep. What information should an amateur fisherman keep? Well, uh, Steve, unlike your diary where you're diving off into personal information and love life, I keep more of a fishing log. So, no, yeah, but seriously, good question, Bob, and appreciate you sending that in. Yes, I do, <laughs> I do keep a fishing log, and uh, essentially it will include the date, uh, the lake, or the body of water that I'm fishing, and this is normally kept towards the top of the page where I just go through it, kind of have a form that I run through. The time that I launched the boat, the air temperature at the launch, the water temperature, sky conditions, water clarity, the wind, and then what I do from there, it's very short and sweet, but I write down the time of my catch, and I measure most of all of my fish, unless it's obviously, you know, clearly a keeper, mm -hmm. then I do not, but I, I don't like guesswork to know if I'm catching, you know, keeper-sized fish. Also, mm -hmm. the bait selection, the depth of which I caught them at, and then also any quick notes, you know, was it holding on a point, was it holding next to wood, grass, and then also leave a space just for a waypoint number if I have assigned a waypoint to that. And I do that for uh, pretty much every single fish, certainly during practice and when I'm out on the water trying to learn kind of a new body of water, new technique. And then at the bottom of the page when I go in for the evening, I'll write down my quitting time, the air temperature then, and also the water temperature, and then just kind of a recap of the day. Because uh -huh. once you start spending that much time on the water, as much as what we like to think that we can remember all of that information, we just can't. At least I can't. And I love going back and looking through that, and you can start putting together trends, and it helps you not only in your recreational fishing, but also in your competitive fishing. Man, that's just all great. And I know, I mean, you, you take it to the uh, X degree. <laughs> and uh, But I love looking at your logs. But I, I wanted to ask you myself, don't you think that uh, Bob and other people might find things about their particular lake that they want to keep that, say, may be sort of unique to their lake? Maybe generation schedules are, are a big factor or things like that. Do you think that a fellow should customize it to his own lake? Oh, most definitely. Because this, and again, this is just, general information and you know it's just some of the things that I like to keep almost for every body of water but yeah there are going to be unique things like current generation or let's say boat docks obviously if those are coming into play versus you know high currents and high water situations muddy water all those different things I think need to be applied to the particular body of water that you're fishing so certainly don't just think that this is just a cure-all. Well that's true and of course just monitoring the vegetation as you go through the year can be a value and where you see bait. You know, it's endless and you have to kind of customize this for your lake. And I think as you learn your lake, you'll kind of begin to understand more what information is important to you. And it's just a great bit of fun. And it's it's fun to look at your logs before you go out to fish. And what happened last year, not necessarily on the dates, but more on the types of conditions, the water conditions and, and where we're at. So, uh, Well, that's a good point because what you have to be careful of is that, you know, whatever happened on uh, first week of July last Last year isn't always the case. You know, we've seen weather patterns, and obviously those can vary from year to year. Sometimes you're ahead, sometimes you're behind. But the other thing I quickly want to point out is that, you know, it's as much about getting the information down, because if it's not written down, you can't reference it. So you have to come up with your own system. And uh, I think once you get into 
what information you want to keep. Just make a quick note of that. I leave that laying on the front deck of my boat, and then when on the move, I stick it in the in between the console and the windshield of the boat. But that's that's the main thing. Get the information written down so that you can reference it down the road. That's so true. And Bob, keep us posted on how your logging goes. We'd be interested to see how that works for you. But right now, we need to get away and talk to one of our best buddies in the business, Kurt Dove. We'll be right back. You know the importance of protecting your investments, so why use anything other than the toughest keel protector for your boat? Grinding sand, abrasive rocks, and concrete ramps are no match for our patented technology. Keel Guard keel protectors are made tough and made to stick. Their do-it-yourself installation takes less than an hour, providing the most dependable, most trusted keel protection for your boat, guaranteed for life. So give your boat the performance edge. Put on the protection the pros pick. Keel Guard keel protectors. This is Mark Zona, and you're listening to The Edge. All right, welcome back to The Edge. And as promised, we have with us today certainly no stranger to Bass Edge, and that is Mr. Kurt Dove. Kurt, how are you doing, man? Hey, Aaron, I'm doing great. Been uh, spending a lot of time down here at uh, Lake Amistad, and fish have been biting pretty good, so I've been smiling. That is always a positive, and actually that is something that we want to talk to you about because uh, we just got off the phone basically with Pete Lusak talking about uh, fishing ledges and, you know, the traditional throwing a crankbait and kind of honing in on on, uh, a more traditional bait that's used there, and that is the football jig. But, you know, you spend a lot of time traveling across the country and really applying a different type of technique that also works very well. I sure do. You know, um, I I love to fish ledges. You know, there's so many different types of ledges. You know, there's, you know, shallow ledges, like a lot of times you find at Kentucky Lake. um, And then then there's the extreme deeper type ledges that a lot of times you find down here at Lake Amistad. So um, there's a lot of different great tactics to use. Um, Obviously, the jig and crankbait, you know, produce a lot of good fish and, and sometimes, and also a big 10-inch worm, but uh, sometimes they just don't react to those to those baits as frequently, and, and I really like to get down and, and really get dirty and do some finesse fishing on those on those types of situations. So Primarily, you, I'm, I'm going straight to a drop shot. So whenever you do that, let's say you're, you're picking up that drop shot, what are you using as the determining factor to kind of put you in the zone and, and give you the clue that, hey, you know, we better be thinking drop shot here? Well, a lot of times it depends on where the fish are positioned on the ledge. Um, if the fish are positioned on the top, that's when those power baits and, and uh, you know, power fishing type applications work really well with the big worms and, and uh, you know, quarter or half ounce weights or, or the crankbaits and the jigs, you know, the three quarter ounce or ounce jigs. But if the fish are actually positioned off the edge of the ledge and on the drop, the drop shot really provides a presentation that can get to those fish and keep it in their strike zone a lot more readily than uh, some of those other techniques, especially depending on how deep those fish are relating to that ledge. Um, of course, you know, crankbaits and stuff, I mean, they'll get down and be really productive in that 12 to sometimes 18-foot range. But once you get past that 18-foot range, if you're trying to, you know, capture fish that's that's relating to the bottom, it really becomes ineffective, and, and a lot of times that's where we go to that jig and worm. But if the ledge is really steep, the drop shot is very effective in targeting those fish that are hanging just off of those ledge before it drops off into the really deep water. So are you using your electronics to kind of put you in, uh, at least in the strike zone of, of finding out maybe where the bait and also the fish are positioned? That's correct. I mean, you're certainly going to use your electronics, obviously, first to find the structure that's applicable to this fishing situation, you know, to find the ledge. And then, you know, we're going to go through a lot of different uh, baits and techniques before we might get to the drop shot. I, I wouldn't go to the drop shot right off the bat, but if you're you're fishing a productive area, you see some arches on your graph that, that are just off the edge, that's when I'm going to pick 
pick up that technique and, and certainly using your electronics to, to locate those fish are, are key, and that's what I'll use in that situation. Well, it's it's funny you bring that up because right before Steve and I was actually just talking about our day in the water uh, on Table Rock, you know, and we mm -hmm. were fishing the exact same thing, situation where the river channel came up 100 foot of water right up next to an island, and it, it actually came up to like, you know, 15, 17 feet. And exactly. uh, throwing that jig out there, they were hitting it on the fall. Now, whenever you go to the drop shot, are you always fishing for kind of a suspended type situation, or are you actually, you know, taking that all the way to the bottom, or a combination of the both? It's going to be a combination of the both, and it's a great example that you just bring up. You know, if those fish aren't really active, they're not going to run out and kind of eat that jig while it's on that fall. I mean, that's that fish is, re, you know, using a reaction strike based on what that bait's doing. If those fish aren't that aggressive, that's where that drop shot really comes in. I mean, they. they They'll also aggressively feed, and you'll catch some suspended fish while the drop shot is even following to the bottom. But really where it comes into play, you can just kind of trickle that thing a lot slower down that ledge because you have a lot more precise presentation with it than you would with a lot of other baits. So you'll be able to capture those fish and present a lure to them more effectively with the drop shot on those steeper type ledges. So talk to me about the, you know, the difference between uh, bait selection here. You know, you have your traditional worm style baits, finesse style, mm -hmm. but then you also have kind of the, the ones that mimic the bait fish. How do you know exactly. uh, what, what you're going to pick up while you're ledge fishing? The first thing I usually pick up is a four-inch finesse worm. That's kind of my little go-to bait, and um, I like to use it quite a bit. Um, if, the, if they are seeming to, sometimes you can get a little bit better bite on something like a three-inch uh, soft plastic bait, like a like a fluke or a cinco or something of that style of bait that you can you can present a little bit bulkier presentation than the four-inch finesse worm. So if they're really keen on bait fish and and they're you know it's something where I think they've changed or I needed to change up my presentation to continue getting more bites, a lot of times I'll go straight to that Cinco-style bait. But uh, if it's just a purely finesse situation, I know some fish have been in the area, haven't been bit, you know, in that area in the, in the last 15 or 20 minutes, that's when I'll move to that smaller four-inch finesse worm. A lot of the key, too, is how, how you have your entire rig set up is really going to help you be able to detect strikes in this situation and um, just really put yourself in a better position to catch more fish. And whenever you say as far as having the entire rig set up, I'm sure some of that goes to, you know, rigging the bait. Will you normally nose hook it or hook it in the center, wacky rig it, or does that make a difference? I really like to, you know, kind of Texas rig it on that drop shot. I like to use a one-out hook, uh, which is a little bit bigger than, than most people use as, as far as when you're looking at Great Lakes fishing and that type of thing for smallmouth. But for largemouth and, and this ledge fishing type deal and even, even spotted bass, utilizing that scenario where you have the, the Texas rig bait, it really just alleviates any kind of hookup, you know, or any kind of snags down here like Amistad, you know, we have tons of trees that, that sit on tops of these ledges and on the sides of these ledges, and that's really where these fish position. And you can take that circumstance all the way across the country, like Table Rock. You know, those fish are going to get on those rocks, and, and there, there's going to be cedar trees and those types of things that could deter you from using an open hook. And, and so generally, I don't find any hookup situations that are any different, whereas if I use that Texas rig set up on my drop shot where it's not an exposed hook, I mean, that's the way I like to rig it right off the bat. Well, that's good advice, and certainly, you know, obviously the technique kind of came out of the West, and uh, they do a lot of that out there as well. Now, what sure. about in our last closing minute here, as far as color that you're selecting, does that vary with the type of water that you're fishing, or not so much? My color selections vary greatly on light penetration, not necessarily a lot with the with the color of the water, um, which uh, obviously the color of the water is going to affect the light penetration in the water as well. But when I have maximum light penetration, I really like to go to translucent colors, you know, something that's really natural looking, you know, your your blue hues and your clear hues, uh, you know, your bait fish really 
you know, something that looks supernatural. When I go to uh, cloudy weather or, or maybe a darker water situation, like a stained water situation, I really get into more of like the green pumpkins with, you know, chartreuse tip tails and uh, those types of, of colors that bring a little bit more of solid image to the fish when they're, when they're swimming around in those areas looking for some prey. Kurt, certainly great stuff as always. It's always a pleasure to have you back on the edge. Look forward again next time. And, uh, man, I'm anxious to get down there with you and get a guide trip on Amstead. Yeah, come on down. Anybody, uh, if you're interested, come on down to Amistad. We've got a lot of great fishing going on down here, and uh, it's just a beautiful place to visit. But uh, thanks for having me today, Aaron, and uh, it's great to talk to you. Look forward to doing it again. Now you can order Bass Edge Seasons 1 and 2 on DVD. Own the best resource for tips and techniques in bass fishing is host Aaron Martin tackles lakes across the country with the industry's top pro anglers, including Edwin Evers, Boyd Duckett, Alton Jones, and Pam Martin-Wells. The two sets include all 25 episodes with never-before-seen footage, over three hours of bonus pro angler interviews, bloopers, and highlights. Each two-disc set is just $19.95. Call 1-888-390-8780 or order online at BassEdge.com. Steve, we are out of time, but I think you have something uh, to give away before we get out of here. I do indeed. We're going to help Michael from Clarksville, Tennessee, a little bit with his wardrobe. We're going to send Michael a Fishing on the Edge t-shirt and a Bass Edge hat along with a Bass Edge decal. And thanks for listening, Michael. Well, congratulations, Michael. And uh, this is just a reminder. Remember, we will be off the week of July 4th, but we'll be joining everyone again the week of July 10th and uh, have a lot of great things to talk about. In the meantime, be sure to look for us on Bass Edge Television, seen three times weekly on the Outdoor Channel, and we can also be found on the World Fishing Network and Wild TV in Canada. Also, log on to BassEdge.com for the latest tips from the pros and a chance to win great prizes. I am Aaron Martin, and for Steve Brigman and the rest of the Bass Edge crew, we look forward to seeing you next week right here on The Edge. This week's edition of Bass Edges The Edge has been brought to you by B&W Trailer Hitches, Ditch Witch, Mega Wear Keel Guard, O'Reilly Auto Parts, and Legend Boats. For more information on Bass Edge, including our television show, training materials, e-newsletter, and podcast, please visit www.bassedge.com. Be sure to join us next week on The Edge.